Welcome to Elevate Your Event, your go-to podcast for transforming fundraising events. Join us weekly for expert tips and creative ideas to make your next event a standout success. In today's episode, we join our CEO and founder, Jeff Porter, in an exciting NX Unite panel about bringing your nonprofit into the future with tech. You're going to hear about best practices for identifying relevant tools, strategies for adopting tech efficiently, acquainting team members with tech, and addressing pushback, and a lot more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our panel. My name is Valuta Grasha, and I serve as an NX Unite team member at Nexus Marketing and your moderator for today's panel. Today's panel topic is Thinking Ahead, Bringing Your Nonprofit into the Future with Tech. I'd like to first introduce Jeff Porter, who is the founder and CEO at Handbid. He's no stranger to fundraising events, having participated in them for over 25 years. He ran his first fundraiser in 2005 and has managed over 50 auction events and fundraisers for his own charities and not to mention hundreds more with Handbid. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Malou. Happy to be here. And Merry Christmas, everyone. Right. And we also have Josiah Boteo, who is the director of sales at Snowball Fundraising. He's a pastor's kid, born and raised in the church, as well as worked at a nonprofit for seven years prior to Snowball. This has given him an insight in how churches and nonprofits function and has helped him direct to guide organization to what works for them and what tools are needed to thrive. Great to have you, Josiah. Good to be here once again. Thank you for having me, and it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun fun day. All right, and I also wanted to acknowledge that we're supposed to have Karen Houghton of Infinite Giving, but she's not able to make it today. We'll definitely have her in future sessions, so please keep an eye out for that. All right, now it's finally time to hear from our panelists, and Jeff, I'll have you start us off with the first question. What best practices do you recommend for nonprofits hoping to evaluate and identify gaps in their current tech stack? Yeah, you know, ironically, we were just talking about this the other day because we did a podcast episode on this. And, you know, when you're looking at kind of gaps in your technology, one of the things we say is start with identifying kind of what are your core business processes? What are you doing you know, as it relates to your program services, as it relates to donor development, as it relates to fundraising, um, you name it, marketing. So kind of define and map those out and then kind of map the technologies you're currently using against those. So you say what what's being currently covered by technology, what's not. Like, look, not everything has to be automated or, or, you know, I would say even managed by tech. But in a lot of cases, it is. So once you've got your processes mapped out, once you have your technologies mapped out, look and see what are the most resource-intensive things we're doing that we may be able to automate by maybe changing our technology stack or maybe adding to it. And that's where we always say start with that being the gap. you know. And then from there, you can then start to kind of put into place a plan on how you actually want to implement that technology. And I think we're going to be talking about that in some future questions. But just to kind of start, gap analysis should always begin with identifying, you know, kind of what parts of your business are taking up the most of your time or are not currently being, you know, I would say adequately addressed by tech. 
Thank you so much for starting us off, Jeff. Josiah, I'm going to bring the same question over to you. What would you recommend for those looking to evaluate and identify gaps in their current tech stack? Yeah, I mean, it's like every, everything Jeff said and then so, I mean, it, it, it really does go to a lot of times as organizations, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like you don't have to really like, oh, I have to think of the next best thing. Like a lot of people around us are already using that stuff. So to identify gaps, it's look around, look at what other organizations are doing. Look at what the organizations that have, have been around for several years that are like, they're, they're, the, they're the big nonprofits. Everybody knows the big nonprofits in their, in their city, their town, their state. And it's kind of looking at what they're doing. I mean, so to identify the gaps my advice would be to just open your eyes and look around I mean, and, and talk to people. A lot of times nonprofits like to do stuff with each other, see what they're doing, see what's working, you know, look at their, look at their um, technologies that they have within there. Is it using, you know, text to give, is it using this or are they doing something that I'm not doing? So to, to really feel those gaps, it's, it's just, you know, like I said, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just look around see what other people are doing and what's working because it's very easy it's very easy to go grab something that somebody else is doing then try to invent something yourself so that, that's all i would say in, in order to fill those gaps is, is really just look around stick your hand out somebody's always there to help out and, and really just you know word of mouth wonderful thanks josiah all right i'll stick with you for our next question what advice do you have for nonprofits who have previously struggled to effectively implement new tech Try, try, and try again. I think the problem is, is that sometimes when somebody tries new tech and it doesn't work like their first event or their first something, they're like, oh, never mind. Like that didn't work. And, and they want to get rid of it again. The problem with that is the first time we do something that anybody does something, it will not be as successful as when you continue to do it. The, the first one might be a total bust. It might be a fail. Uh, you might have failed at doing what you were trying to accomplish. But in reality, try, try, and try again. Um, I, I think the problem is, is that like I said, we don't give enough time and value and effort the first time around. And when something doesn't succeed, we want to blame the tech. We want to blame the, the problem. We want to. We really need to start looking like at ourselves and say, how can we do that better? So it, it's like in baseball. It's like I always tell you know clients and people that come here. It's like you got to at least give it a three strike rule. You got to at least try it you know once, two or three times. Because the reason I say that is you might have two out of those three years that worked, but one didn't. Well, two out of those three times that worked. Even even one time out of the three times it worked, and I always kind of refer it to baseball, like a batting average of a 333 in baseball is fantastic, and that's only one out of three hits. So in the, in the same in the same sense, I kind of say the same thing. So if you have failed to implement it properly the first time around, don't give up. Try it again. Try it again. Because a lot of times it's either a our 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 client or our donors maybe haven't grasped that right away. Maybe, you know, when we have an event, maybe not everybody made it to that event, but they can make it to the next one. So you're always hitting different people as well too. So don't give up is, is, is really what I would say if you're struggling to implement new technology. Wonderful. Thanks, Josiah. Jeff, over to you. Any advice for nonprofits who have struggled to effectively implement new tech? Yeah, definitely. Josiah's right. You guys got to stick with it. I mean, it's definitely a process. It's not like kind of a one-time thing when you guys are looking to implement something new. You know, and obviously that depends on what you're doing. If you're installing a new app on your phone, you know, and it doesn't work, maybe you can toss it. But what, I think what we're talking about here are things that are really going to automate a process, revolutionize your fundraising event, or maybe your fundraising, your donor management. And those things are a little bit more complicated. <clears throat> and so you're going to have to, you know, I think be a little bit more patient with it. I'd also say, 
set realistic goals and expectations. So realistic goals, right? If you want to completely revamp in a huge part of your business, you can go out there and you can put this massive goal in place. You can go buy the software. You can start marching down that path to fix your CRM or to change out maybe your donor development system. And then all of a sudden, like it's getting harder and harder and you just, you know, you're, you're into it several thousand dollars and you just give up because maybe the goal should have been, Hey, why don't I just get my data out of my mobile bidding system and into my CRM? Why don't I just start with that? You know, and then let me go build on that versus trying to kind of, you know, quote unquote, boil the ocean all at once. And then on the setting expectations side, you know, understand and really kind of what defines success and what are you willing to tolerate and what are you not willing to tolerate? Um, let's be honest here. And we both work for tech companies. Technology is awesome, but it's not perfect. Okay. And I think a lot of times you roll in and you have expectations that there's going to be absolutely zero problems and I'm not here to say that our software isn't going to work, but there's a lot of moving parts that go along with an event and using software, running a donation campaign. And so you have to say to yourself, you know, what, what am I going to define as success? And because Josiah is right. I mean, in a lot of cases, you're just going to blame the tech and it may not be the tech's fault. It might be how the tech was configured or it might be how the tech was used or, you know, maybe something that's completely even not even related uh, to the technology. So Definitely understand what you think you're going to be willing to accept. And the last thing I say is decide who you're going to listen to and who you're not going to listen to. I always say lean on trusted advisors, lean on people who do understand how the, how to best use the technology, who are also going to be the ones that are going to be your cheerleader and your coach and not the naysayers because you're going to have them, right? I mean, I remember my own first event. We launched Hanbit, okay? That was the very first event we ever used Hanbit at back in 2011. And we had definitely the people who weren't happy with it. We doubled our auction revenue. I mean, I can give you the 15 amazing things that happened at our event. And I had two or three donors that wanted to complain because they liked paper bid sheets. Well, you know, we just decided as much as we love them and we love their donations, we just weren't going to listen to them. You know, you got to stick with it and you kind of have to kind of work through those things. And I could be a board member, you guys. It doesn't have to be a donor, but just understand up front. Yes, we're going to do this. We're going to stick with it. And although I'm going to nod my head and smile and do all those really, you know, you know, kind of polite things, I'm, I'm not going to take their advice just because one or two people out of a few hundred, you know, were, were against it. Wonderful. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Here's our next question. And Jeff, I'll have you start us off with this one. Do you have any questions you think nonprofits should ask be before purchasing a new software? Yeah, I know what you all are saying you're going to ask, which is, can I afford it? <laughs> but I'm going to change that question on you and say, can you afford it or can you afford not to use it? So one of the things I want to make sure that everybody's thinking about is not just what does it cost, but what kind of opportunities is it going to bring? And so we like to kind of classify technology as kind of two, two types of things. It's either a vitamin or it's an aspirin. So it's either going to relieve a headache for you guys, or it's going to energize your business somehow. And, you know, maybe some of these software platforms will do a little bit of both, right? You know, we like to think Hanbit does a little bit of both, but at the same time, like you have to say to yourself, like, Hey, I know it's going to cost X, but if I spend a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars on this, it could generate 10, 20, 30,000 more dollars at my event or 
it might eliminate, you know, this amount of cost out of my business. Think about, again, is that some sort of investment that we feel is going to be worth it? And then obviously, once you've kind of gotten past the, you know, kind of the ROI decision point, you know, just make sure you have the resources. And I'm not talking about the money, right? We just talked about that. But just make sure you have also the resources. That's time and people and expertise to actually implement it correctly. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Josiah, over to you. Anything you want to add to the questions nonprofits should ask before purchasing new software? This is probably the hardest question on this whole thing. And the reason I say that is because all nonprofits are different. So, so all, all, all your questions are going to be different in what you're looking for and what you're, and, you know, kind of the different features and the things that you're seeking out. But it's like I tell people that I talk to on a daily basis is, is just don't be afraid to ask anything. Like the old saying, there is no, there is no stupid questions. Like it, it really is true. Make sure you're getting everything out there. So that way you feel comfortable. I think a lot of times um, organizations, uh, technologies out there, they're all about, you know, forcing themselves on you. And, and, and I think it should be the opposite way around where you guys are, you're, you guys are the interviewers. You guys are interviewing the technology. It shouldn't be the technology interviewing you and kind of just, you know, trying to coerce you into different, into different ways. But I mean, questions that you could ask, obviously, like, like Jeff said, the, the price questions are always coming up, but ask a lot about that. Like ask a lot about your prices. I think people make, make um, assumptions and they don't ask enough about pricing, you know, Hidden fees are a big thing with a lot of technologies, you know, things that like, oh, hey, I got charged this. Like, what was this? Oh, like, well, you, you should have seen that before when you first signed. Like, ask those type of questions. And the other thing I, I like to say is even here at Snowball Fundraising, I will tell everybody day in and day out, compare, compare, compare. And, and if you see one organization that does something and that, you know, you want to bring it to this organization, talk about it because I think questions grew from that. Questions brew from like, oh, this is why we do it this way. They do it this way. This way, this may be better or not be better, or, you know, whatever it may be. So I, I think it's bringing a lot of your questions that you get from other organizations. If anybody ever just goes to one technology and and just, you know, signs up with that one technology and only talking to that one technology, I think they've done themselves a disservice. So I always say I'm not afraid, you know, of competition when it comes to snowball fundraising. So go out and look and then bring those questions back. Um, so you can make sure that you're making the right decision for yourself. But yeah, it, that, that's a hard question. But like I said, just ask anything that you possibly want to ask and make sure you are really comparing other organizations to what you're looking for. Thanks, Josiah. All right, here's our next question. And Jeff, I'll have you start us off with this one. How can nonprofits future-proof their tech infrastructure to ensure long-term adaptability and scalability in an ever-evolving digital landscape? Right. That's a good question. I think it actually builds on what Josiah was just saying. So when you're thinking about, you know, going out and comparing and trying to evaluate the different solutions out there, one of them should be is who do I think can be a lasting partner for us? You know, I think one of the most disruptive things we see charities do is they bounce from, you know, platform to platform to platform, you know, and it could be for a variety of reasons. It could be for saving money or whatever. But when you don't find a partner that, you know, you can start to build some knowledge and some, you know, I'd say some expertise and some comfort level with, it just makes it harder, especially if you're thinking, okay, I want to future proof things, you know, Part of that comparison then always has to be if you're always bouncing around is where is this company going? How do they innovate? You know, what kind of, you know, 
you know, new features that they put into the platform. What are, what am I learning from them? You know, I mean, you don't want to have to be teaching your technology vendor stuff. You want to be learning from them, you know? So that's, I think at the top of the list, right. Is saying, if you're going to future proof something, you got to find the right technology partner to go with. And then I would say what we see, we, we tend to see a lot of is people probably overbuying. I know it's hard for me to say that because, you know, we obviously love to sell software, but we like to sell the software that you need. And so, you know, you, you get too deep into something, you way overspend, and then all of a sudden you feel like you're underwater in it. It's hard for you to kind of justify the long-term cost of it. So I get it. Like you're looking at different software packages out there and this one looks really amazing. And you feel like in five years, that's the one we should be able to afford. If you can't afford it today, you know, you don't have to necessarily go in that direction if you don't want to. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Josiah, thoughts on future-proofing a nonprofit's tech infrastructure? These are these are some good questions today um, because they're also a little bit difficult to answer in, in some aspects because to me, future-proofing is, I don't want to call it impossible, but it's almost impossible. And, and the reason I say that is because we're ever-evolving. Things are always changing. So, so, so future-proofing, you know, it, it's very difficult to do and set yourself up for success. And, and Jeff touched on a lot of those points just now. One of them being, you know, yeah, don't, don't put yourself in a hole that you don't need to be in. Don't spend just to spend, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I really think basically when it all comes down to it, it, it really is, I think the number one thing is finding a good CRM. That, that in itself, your donors are the most important part of your whole nonprofit. If, if, if you're not making sure you're keeping track of your donors on a technology and, and you're using like Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that, that's probably not where you want to be because that doesn't leave too much room for growth. Um, so you want to make sure that you are using things. And once again, I think it's really baby steps. If at first you, you know, you don't crawl, you don't walk type situation, you really have to make sure that you're taking the steps that are good for your organization. I've seen a lot of people make the mistakes of trying something because another organization did it. And, and once again, you're your own unique organization. You have your own identity. You know what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you. So just making sure that you're setting yourself up for success. Have a plan. Have a written plan. Hey, we might not be ready for, you know, we just got started. If you just got started, you're probably not ready for a very high plan. You know, you want to start on that low plan. You want to get yourself a giving page on your website. You want to make sure that you're doing all that. So, so those are the things that you want to make sure you're doing is lay out a plan. I think that's the problem that we do sometimes too, is we don't necessarily lay out where we want to be in five years and 10 years and 15 years. So, and set yourself realistic goals. Jeff pointed on this a while ago. Sometimes we have those goals that are just unrealistic. They're unobtainable. Set yourself realistic goals. Goals should be something that are still hard to obtain, but still very obtainable. So in order to future-proof yourself, you want to have a goal of where you should be your first year versus your second year versus your fifth year versus your 10th year. So make sure you're really looking at that and kind of how you've grown. And then also looking at your past. Um, hey, we grew this much in five years. Um, what can we do? What worked? What didn't work? Always reevaluating what worked and what didn't work and making sure you're always ahead of the game. Fantastic. Thanks, Josiah. All right. Very quickly, I'm reminding our live audience again to submit your questions so we can address them during the second half of the session. But before I open that door, I want to sneak in my next question. And Josiah, I'm going to have you start us off with this one. What emerging technologies do you believe will have the greatest impact on nonprofits in the next five years? And how should organizations prepare for integration? Emerging technologies, that, that, that's, 
that that's kind of crazy because once again, there's probably technology out there that we don't even know about yet that's about to come. And, and you really just always have to be on your A game. You always have to be in your ready position. Um, I always like to talk a lot of sports analogies and things like that, but you got to be ready. Like you can't just sit there with your hands in your pocket or else the baseball is going to come and smack you in the face. You got to be in your ready position every single time to, to catch those things that are, that are, that are coming in. As far as like technologies that will have the greatest impact, once again, kind of I'm, I'm going back to the past, I, I would even say it's hard to always make the assumption or going back to an earlier question, what works, what didn't work. QR codes for a while there were really high up and then they died down and now they're making a the comeback. So once again, really focus on those things. What's coming, what's, what's happening. The emerging technology could be something that was in the past and all of a sudden it's reemerging again. So making sure you're painting those things. The other thing really is I'm going to, throw this out there and it's going to help both companies. And I'm sure Jeff's going to touch on it a little bit too, but I always say we do auctions at Snowball Fundraising. I know Jeff does it, but auctions are a very emerging technology. A lot of organizations out there do not know the benefits to running an auction. They've all gotten scared of them in the past. They think it's too much work. Um, and I always say auctions are the, are the easiest and the best way to raise a lot of money in a short amount of time. And sometimes they can cost you no money out of your own pocket. So uh, I think that's one of the emerging technologies that, that we're really focusing on here is making sure that, that you're paying attention to those things that maybe have been around for a while, but you were too afraid to try them for a while because of the horror stories that you had. So yeah, er emerging technology is a little bit hard, but all I can say about that is just be in the ready position for whatever you see coming down the pipe and, and have an open mind. I think that's the other thing too is People always say like, oh, that's not going to work in my organization. Oh, my, 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 my donors and all that, those guys are too, they're the older generation. They're not quite ready for that. But you'd be very surprised when you open up your mind and you actually allow that stuff to come out. Older people are actually the ones that use the technology a lot too. They, they, they have social media now, they text their grandkids, they do all that. And a lot of stuff now, it, it is in your palm of your hands. It's in it's this little device right here that makes everything go round. So yeah, that, that'd be my recommendation is just be in the ready position for anything. And even if it sounds like if it was old, it could still make a comeback. Just like, just like our clothes. <laughs> Thanks, Josiah. All right, Jeff, over to you. Final thoughts on emerging tech that will have the greatest sure. impact on nonprofits in the next five yeah. years. We have a little bit of time. I'm going to, I'm going to expand this to emerging techs and emerging trends. Cause I think both of them are important. And Josiah is right. I mean, things come and go. And I think different industries adopt things at different periods of time. Right. I mean, mobile apps disrupted local search back in the day when I was doing that back in 2007, 2008 timeframe, mobile apps have disrupted fund fundraising, you know, anywhere from five to seven years later. So <clears throat> some things that we find emerging in the nonprofit space have been around for a while, um, or maybe their usage gets, you know, to be different. QR codes really did a resurgence in the, during the COVID stage when everything, every single menu, which by the way, I, Judith, I'm like you, I guess I'm a senior citizen because as techie as I am, I cannot stand pulling up a menu on a QR code on my phone at a restaurant because my eyes cannot see it. So I need the like camera and I need, I pull out my, I look like a nerd. I pull out my wife's camera. I shine the light on the, my own phone so I can, anyway, it's just one of those things. It's just hard, but sometimes I think technology can get in the way, but, but I get it. Now they don't have to change their menu, right? <laughs> they don't have to reprint menus. So 
it all goes anywhere. So anyway, let's get into emerging emerging technology, artificial intelligence, for sure. And we're seeing more and more of that. And we've talked about it in other panels before. It is not just coming, it is here. You'll see it start to get integrated more into the fundraising tech. I mean, it'll do everything from, you know, once it gets to be intelligent enough, right? It'll It'll tell you like, what types of items are my donors or my bidders or my guests most likely to bid on? Who's the most likely to donate $5,000 versus $10,000 at my event? And on and on and on, like sift through my database and tell me who I should be inviting or looking at everybody who donated this kind of money in Denver. I'm now going to run my next fundraiser in Albuquerque. Give me a lookalike group that I should invite. So you're going to see that just start to kind of find its way into everything. And we already have it in stuff like rewriting item descriptions, which if to Josiah's point about auctions being a lot of work, they're awesome. And they, um, they definitely are a huge fundraising tool, but no one likes writing item descriptions. Well, guess what? Chat GPT will do it for you. So, you know, you have some opportunity to do really kind of streamline some of the processes with AI also. One that probably most of you don't know about is or understand is blockchain. So if you understand cryptocurrency, you understand that it's built on blockchain. I don't want to get into all the details of what blockchain is. But what I will tell you is that it's going to drive a lot of transparency into the nonprofit space. Literally, you can take somebody's dollar and you can track that dollar crypto wise through the entire process. So when they donated it into your charity, just specifically what you spent it on. So anyway, I know that's going to put a lot of pressure on charities, you know, because it's going to, people are going to want to see where they're, you know, obviously people want to know now where their dollars are going and now they're going to be able to see it. So um, look out for that. It's definitely, again, it's a technology that's been around for a while, but it's, it's emerging in the fundraising space. Um, VR, Apple has a brand new VR camera tool thingy, whatever you want to call it. It's pretty sweet. I mean, there could be some amazing stuff you guys could do at events with virtual reality that I think could be a lot of, you could have a virtual event. Honestly, that's purely like people are sitting in the, in the ballroom if you wanted to. The last one I'd throw on here is just big data, being able to get your data from all these different cloud platforms you're using, get it all into one location where you can start to better understand donor intelligence and all that other kind of stuff. So there's people that will help you with that by the way. But, you know, if you're using an online CRM, like a Bloomerang or, you know, one of those, and, and you're using Hanbin, you want to merge all that data together and you really want to get a good picture of, you know, what Malou's been doing over the last five years and what events she's attended and how much money she's been getting, that kind of stuff is going to be much easier uh, for you to assemble in the future. Trend-wise, we already talked about the fact that QR codes have made a resurgence, but you're starting to see you know, a trend towards hybrid events, you're starting to see more of an acceptance around virtual events. You're seeing a trend around people being really comfortable, especially with the older generation and using technology. So those types of things, I think also play a role. So you can't just keep total track of what the technologies are, because, you know, people like Hambit and Snowball, we'll do that for you, right? We're always on the pulse of what's the technology coming out and how to use it. Trends, you guys have to be observant of those just as much as we are. Um, there's a lot of trends, you guys, in data privacy, a ton. Um, and so obviously we pay attention to those. But every time you're working with a tech vendor, you have to understand what types of legal or compliance trends are out there and do they apply to me or not. 
So, you know, is there a privacy law I need, or that I have to adhere to or that my tech vendor has to adhere to? Are there new accessibility laws? People don't even think about accessibility until COVID came around. Now everybody's using online technology. And then you end up getting sued because somebody who's visually impaired can't use the fundraising site you picked because they have a screen reader. So all of those types of things are important, right, that you kind of think about in terms of the trend stuff. But there's a lot there to kind of digest. I mean, I will sum it up by saying there's folks like us, you know, on this call or companies like us. They'll help you with some of that as well. We have to stay on top of those things. So you can always ask us questions. That's wonderful. Thanks, Jeff. Josiah, anything else you wanted to add to that? Otherwise, I'll have you start us off with our registration question. No, I, I, think, I think we're good. All right. Wonderful. All right. Here's a question from registration. Technology also informs donors and supporters about nonprofits um, 990 filings. It's hard to believe that a nonprofit with 300 million cash on the balance sheet needs more donations. How did those nonprofits keep getting big donors? That's the, that's the, that's the number one question there because I think if I think if I'm, we could answer that, nobody. I'm glad you started with Josiah. <laughs> I, I think if we could answer that, I think everybody would be set. But I, I mean. It's it's once again people like that 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 are getting a lot of money. I, I think it's it's once again looking around and seeing what other people are doing. I mean, it, it's not only your donors, it's grants that you're going after. Grants are probably some of the bigger portion that you're gonna get in. It's it's you know, having having businesses around you. But but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the question for everybody. And I think that's that's the hardest thing is is how do I get to where those guys are getting to? And I think it goes back to what we kind of said a while ago is is don't try to reach that pinnacle if you're down here because you're going to drive yourself crazy. Like, like I get it. You, you want to know how these organizations have got so much. And these organizations, one, have probably either been around for a while or two, they've got some deep pocket friends around them. Um, so, so you really got to make sure you're not comparing yourself to other organizations. I think that's the, that's the cardinal rule. That's the biggest thing that nonprofits do is they compare, compare, compare. Your organization is not the same as the one down the street. Your donors are not the same as the donors down the street. So make sure you're not driving yourself crazy by comparing yourself to somebody who's getting $3 million and you're getting $3,000. I, I think you've got, you got to start somewhere, but believe me, for whoever asked that question, I wish we had the answer to that. And I wish I could give some big old elaborate speech. So that way you could be like, oh, Josiah was right. I'm going to go get my $3 million right now. But, but I think it's really, it's really focusing on what you can do. Like I said, grants are, are a very big deal. Sponsorships are a very big deal. Events, donors, thing on top of that. It's just some people think that they can open up a nonprofit, stick a giving page on their, on their website and think that they're going to make all kinds of money. So you really, 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 really have to be proactive in the things that you're doing for your organization. It, it is a constant job. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a nine to five job. It's a, it's a bigger job if you're running your own nonprofit. That's probably one of the hardest things to do is get your organization and your goal out there and your reasoning out there. So a lot of it's just word of mouth. And, you know, it's kind of like part, kind of being in a part like a politician without all the lying and deceiving. You really got to go out there and make sure that you are shaking hands. You're talking to people. You're going to events. You're going to meetups. You're going to mixers. You're going to all that just to really get everything out there. But but yeah, don't don't compare yourself to somebody that's getting a lot of money when you just started. You will get there if you stick to it, if you never give up, if you keep trying. And you may never get to that $3 million mark, but you also have to remember why you started the nonprofit. 
Um, you, you started the nonprofit for a reason of helping. That's why all nonprofits, there's a need, there's a reason, there's a calling to start these things. And you can't let the, the, the money get in, you know, get in your head and basically shuffle all that up. I mean, money is the root of all evil. So, I mean, that, 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 so you can't really make sure you into that. It says the love of money is the root. The love is the root of evil, not the money part. The love is the, is the root. So make sure you're really still driving to get that money, but don't fall in love with like, ah, I didn't make $3 million, I'm going to quit. So I think that's a very hard question. I may or may not have answered it in that whole rambling, but just just, just don't give up. And, and Jeff, good luck. If you have that answer, I'm taking notes as well. Jeff, uh, over to you. <laughs> I think if, if I'm, it's an unusual question for a tech panel, but but I would say it sounds like the question was, here's an organization because of technology, they now have to publish their, their 990 and I see 300 million. Is that what it was on the, on the balance sheet as a current, I, I don't know what kind of asset it is, a current asset or whatever. Why do they need more donors? It's kind of like looking at Apple's balance sheet and asking them why they need more customers. I mean, so I would say it's, it, it's a question you, that person needs to ask the charity and better understand what they're doing with the money. You know, not every asset is created equal. So if you've got 300 in cash on the balance sheet and uh, maybe you've got a planned expenditure, maybe you're working on something massive, maybe you're ready to, to go out and build, you know, a thousand wells for water in Africa. I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, but... I'll tell you one thing is you got to be real careful with 990s as as a way to evaluate a charity's effectiveness because charities understand and they kind of work towards these ratios, you know, where they're like, we want to have, you know, everybody does, right? You know, 90 cents of every dollar you spend with us goes to program services. Well, then you got to manipulate your income statement so that you've got as much showing up in program services as possible. And you're trying to get into creative accounting because you don't want to show that you're spending too much on overhead. But guess what? It takes money to run a charity. So there should be some overhead. And I think it can generate, I would say, just really unproductive behaviors uh, amongst charities. And I don't think it's entirely fair. Yes, I get it. There's some charities out there that probably bought a jet and flew around their executives. And, you know, they, they tend to get in trouble. Okay. But that's not always the case. So what I would say is, you know, for anybody who's evaluating charities, you're looking at their income statement, you're trying to figure out, are they effectively using my donor dollars or not? You got to make that judgment. You're happy. You know, I would welcome you and encourage you to reach out to them. And if you don't feel like they're effectively using the money they're bringing in, don't donate to them, donate somewhere else. You know, so anyway, I hope that answered the question. It was kind of an odd one, but Thanks, Jeff. All right. I'm sticking with you for the next question. Going into 2024, what are the most important capabilities or tools that an event tech solution should have that we need to look for? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, you know, it, and going back to what Josiah said, everybody's kind of created different. Everybody's events are different. So it's hard to say it needs to have this one particular feature. I think what you've got to find in a tech solution that's event-based is, does it have the things that I, I specifically need? So if I'm running a hybrid event, for example, and I'm going to have remote bidders bidding against in-room bidders, does it do that? You know, if I plan on having, you know, an event on a cruise ship, you know, does it allow me to do that? You know, does it, 
I'm planning on doing a paddle raise at my event. Does it support that? So go down through that list, obviously ask a bunch of questions. The other thing I would strongly recommend you do is understand who built this software. So a lot of times we get focused on features and we don't really look at who the company was who built it. And do they have event expertise? Do they run their own events? You know, how did this software get built in the first place? I think what you're going to find is when you start partnering with organizations that either A, still run events or started from the event space. So they really do understand what you're doing. They're going to be much more effective to work with than just some online software company who doesn't currently run events, has never staffed an event because you're going to be calling them up on the phone. You're going to be like, well, how do I make my check-in line shorter? And you're not going to be talking to anybody who has any clue because they've never been to a check-in. They don't even know what a check-in is. You know, they'll just tell you, oh, I can show you how you check in guests on our tool, right? Well, that's not exactly the, the conversation we need to have. That's part of it. But the other part of it is, is it's really around optimizing your event. And the last thing I would say is you've got to also find partners that do understand the areas that are going to get you in trouble. And when I say that, it's like, are you running a raffle? Hey, I'm telling you right now, you may think that the police don't care. It is illegal in certain states. And to, does your fundraising platform understand the liabilities that you're taking on if you do that? So you need to understand that. Or, you know, am I violating any data privacy laws? Um, who am I partnering with? Do they secure their data? How do they secure their data? You should see the questionnaires that we get now that we have to fill out largely from universities, largely from massive corporations, you know, who uh, understand what the liability is if, if we, you know, have a data breach. But it's a liability to you guys too. I mean, I'm telling you, like, you know, even though it might be on a lesser scale and maybe nobody's going to see you, you still have to call your guests up and say, I'm really embarrassed to tell you your email address and your cell phone number are now have been exposed. Security-wise, credit card security, Right. People will tell you they're PCI compliant. I go on to so many of our competitors' websites and they say, we're PCI compliant. And then I can create an account and use the word password as my password. Well, I can tell you that that is not compliant. So <clears throat> those are the types of things that down the road are going to get you guys in trouble. And so when you're looking at event fundraising platforms at any level, obviously summarize, make sure it does the things that you need, make sure they have expertise that that's beyond just the technology and make sure they're looking out for you. That's wonderful advice, Jeff. Josiah. Yep. Um, everything Jeff said it. And obviously, and then some like, I mean, the question of what should that event solution or that tech solution have? I think the most important thing is trust, which is kind of hard to build and customer service. Like I always tell everybody, you could have the best tool in the whole entire world, but if your customer service is horrible, you're, you're going to, it's going to mess you up. So like the, the, the important thing is that I know a lot of times it's hard to gain trust in an initial like call, like when you're talking about a sales call, but you got to just evaluate how much you can trust this organization, ask questions about their past, what they do, what they do. Hey, how, what, what's the biggest thing that you've seen go wrong in your company? Like that, those are questions you're allowed to ask and kind of go through that. But the, the biggest thing I think is really customer service is, is really making sure that you have the proper customer service. Like I've seen organizations, and this is something that has just always irritated me, is people that tell you, oh, if you want customer service, you have to pay an extra fee. Like to me, what you're telling me at that point is that your system is so hard to use that I have to pay you to learn how to use it more. I, I think customer service is, is the most important thing along with obviously ease of use and all that other stuff too. And, 
And having a company that you trust does talk about those things that Jeff just pointed out. And, and we do that every single time. It's, it's when somebody talks like, he mentioned raffle. Oh my gosh. Like there's organizations out there that will leave you high and dry. They will tell you, yeah, you could do a raffle through us. Here's how you do it. But they don't tell you, make sure you check your local laws because you technically are not allowed to run online raffles in a lot of different places. They give you certain ideas. I mean, like, like security, liability. We have, the, we have the ability to do outbound text messaging where you could text out your donors. Snowball fundraising, I can promise you, is not going to take your money just because you want that feature. Snowball fundraising is going to tell you, hey, this is what you need to use this feature. Do you have that? So there's a lot of people that think like, oh, I could just go send out outbound Texas blast, blast to everybody. That you cannot do that without opt-ins. So there's a lot of things that you may not understand and that you're going to learn, but you have to have an organization that's willing to be upfront, that's willing to be trustworthy, that's willing to tell you that stuff. And that's willing, if, if, if all of them say yes to everything that you possibly ask, there might be a problem. So you really have to make Please. sure that you are you are getting all the answers that you need. I always like to say that there's probably not a perfect platform out there that's going to do everything that you need. But what you can do is evaluate the platforms that you can trust the most and that are going to give you the most information, even if it's not what you want to hear. And, and I think that's what, I, what we do here at Snowball Fundraising is like, hey, you might not want to hear it, but you can't do that. And if you do that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So I think, yeah, trust and customer service is as big as making sure you have a technology that works to have people come back to something and be able to ask questions, you know, whenever they need to and, and not feel like they have to wait five days to get an answer. Thanks, Josiah. I'll, right, I'll give you an amen on that one for sure. Yeah. Right. Here's our next question, Jeff. And I, I know we've touched on a couple of things about this, but what mistakes have you seen nonprofits make when incorporating new technology and how to avoid them? Sure. Well, we talked about this earlier, right? But trying to kind of bite off more than you can chew, right? So I gave my staff a book from John Acuff called All It Takes is a Goal. And it really does apply in situations like this because it talks about kind of these you know, kind of long-term goals, but to get there, to get to this long-term goal, you need easy goals and you need middle goals. Like you need a one-week goal and you need a one-month goal, and then you can get to that six-month to one-year goal, okay? And so you might be saying, hey, we're going to completely revamp all of these things in terms of technology. And it might be like, you know what? Why don't we just do this little thing this week? Maybe, maybe we're just going to do some amount of research. Maybe I'm going to talk to three mobile bidding companies or, you know, maybe I'm going to get some idea for the, over the course of the next month, we're going to make a decision on this particular platform versus kind of doing everything at once. So I would put that at the top of the list. The second critical mistake that we always see is charities don't understand the concept of ROI or don't apply it in the areas that they should. I get it. Some things are just purely a cost. Right. And it's hard to say that if I buy this widget or that widget, they're going to make any difference in my business. One's just $500 and the other one is $550. And so buy one. Right. I mean, but in other cases, you're looking at two different solutions out there and they can have a dramatic impact on either how much time or money they save you or how much additional revenue they're going to generate. And we see this all the time. Right. I mean, think about it. Like you look at, Mobile bidding software. There's software out there that we compete with that they cost $200. Okay. 
and they will not send you a text message or a push notification when you've been up there. They send you an email. Well, how many people at an event are reading their email? Okay. And then you've got, you flip over, you come to us. We don't cost $200. I'll just warn you, we don't, right? But we will instantly notify your guests when they've been outbid. So what's the difference there? A lot of money, okay? There's a significant amount of revenue difference. And so, you know, that's the thing that it's not always the case. And you see that also, we see with credit card fees. I mean, Josiah is right. There's hidden fees out there. And you may think that certain things are free and you're looking at just the cost. And you might be going with a tool that says it's free, but guess what? They're, they're trying to extract anywhere from 10 to 15% of their donation from your bidders directly or your donors. And that money's not going to you. It's going to some technology company and you have zero idea how much money's going in that direction, right? You talk about something that I think is lousy. Like you think you're saving money you're not saving money. Your donors are paying all this extra money to some technology company, okay? We saw this with credit card fees too. We had one client call us up and they said, well, this competitor of yours is $50 cheaper. All right, they're $50 cheaper, but they're also $3,500 more in credit card processing fees than what you what you paid with us last year. But people don't always see those things. So, you know, when you're looking at a tech solution, you got to look at the entire picture. You have to look at how much it costs, including all the hidden fees, including the ridiculous fees that your donors might be slapped with that you don't even know about. And then you also need to look at what is it going to generate for me in terms of additional revenue. Thanks, Jeff. Josiah, anything you want to add to mistakes you've seen nonprofits make and how to avoid them? I mean, yeah, I mean, kind of kind of what Jeff just touched on a little bit um, is 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 not doing the math. I, I, I think a lot of people, they they I always tell everybody when they when they come to me and like, well, we're going to go to this other organization because it's free. And it's like, OK, I get what you're saying, but let's do the math. Let's say let's say you raise fifteen thousand dollars, you know, and, and you're paying us what you pay us. And with our processing fees versus what you're paying this individual, you would have ended up paying, you know, $1,500 when it's all said and done versus uh, versus a smaller amount. So so one, it's definitely, it's letting the marketing catch you off guard. I guess I could say that. Like it, it's really making sure that you really have to dive in and ask questions and do the math. Like I think a lot of people make the mistake of not going back and looking at things because, oh, this nice shiny object looks really good. But in reality, um, you would have saved yourself a lot of money and even a lot of headaches in some cases, I will, I will just go out and say this, like, it sounds like Jeff's not free. We're technically not free in a lot of our stuff, but free is obviously like sometimes what I mean by that is be careful with free because free is saturated. And what I mean by that, it's not only they're getting a lot of money on the back end, their customer service, I can guarantee you is not going to be that good because they are getting bombarded with a lot of individuals that are coming in there as well. So, so just kind of keep an eye on that and making sure that you really are paying attention to your investment and what you're getting. I will always say, like I said this at the beginning, and I'll say it again, just look around. Look around, making sure that meeting would meet, meet your needs. And don't necessarily just like, oh, this organization use this platform. I'm going to use it too. Once again, make sure you ask a lot of questions. Make sure you go and do your research. I think that's the biggest word of that whole statement too, is research, 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 and making sure that you have that ability. And like we said before, ask questions. I, I mean, not too hard. Yep. 
Wonderful. Thanks, Josiah. All right. Unbelievably, the hour is going by so quickly. So we're going to wrap up this portion of the panel so we can stick to our schedule. If you have more questions for our panelists, uh, please complete the survey that will be dropped in the chat to indicate which panelists you have questions for. And we'll make sure to connect you with them after the session. I've had such a wonderful time hearing from the panelists today. I'm hoping to just get one final piece of insight from them all. And Josiah, I'll have you start us off with this question. What advice do you have for nonprofit professionals who are feeling overwhelmed by the concepts of implementing new tech over the next few years? Yeah, I mean, the easiest thing is say don't be overwhelmed. But but obviously, we're going to be we're we're going to feel overwhelmed. We're going to feel we're going to feel like we have to keep up. But it really is like Jeff said, a lot of the tech that you that you choose should be helping you, not only in what you're looking for, but really really getting the word out. So. Yeah, for, for those of you that are feeling overwhelmed, look at why you're overwhelmed. And the reason I say that is the technology making you feel overwhelmed. Is the technology always broken? Is the technology you're using not working? Like if, if you're putting so much effort in the technology that you have and you're overwhelmed because of that, well, go look for a different technology. So I think it's making, it's, it's, it's really trying to sit down and say, okay, and write the list. Why do I feel overwhelmed? Oh, I feel overwhelmed because I have to do this, 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 and this, and this. Well, make, maybe we can get that a little bit automated by either a asking your current fundraising technology what they would do in these situations, or you know looking around and seeing what you can find out. So I think the the whole thing behind that question is why are you overwhelmed? Make a list and then try to evaluate it from there. Thanks, Josiah. Jeff, over to you. Tips for those getting overwhelmed. Yeah, we've talked about a lot of these things. So I'll, I have to try to add something that hasn't already been discussed. And I would just say. One of the things I would say is just change the channel. Like if you're tuned in to like a bunch of thoughts and beliefs and messages, some people call them soundtracks. That's like convincing you that these things are not working or you convince yourself like it's going to go the same way as the last implementation or I have to implement software that's absolutely perfect and has absolutely zero flaws. You need to maybe change the channel and, and, and I would say just start kind of tuning into a message that that is probably a little bit more productive for you. And I think that'll get rid of some of the overwhelming part of it, right? Because I think a lot of it just comes from our own beliefs and our own expectations of what needs to happen. So, you know, you can get into the the little baby steps. You know, maybe you want to replace every single computer in the entire office. Maybe you have, you know, 40 people and that seems like an overwhelming task and you're on tech soup and you're trying to figure it out and why don't you just replace one and just kind of get that down and then say next week, I'm going to replace two more, right? And kind of go in that phase, you know, maybe you're going to implement a platform like Hambit or Snowball. And it's like, you know what I'm just going to do? I was going to run a really basic campaign and make sure I get my feet underneath me before, you know, the very first thing I do is roll into a million dollar gala, right? <clears throat> so, you know, or maybe I'm not going to do the hybrid auction thing because they're complicated. Maybe I'll just do something a little bit simpler or, you know, I'll add this element, um, you know, maybe in the second event I do, not not all at once. So definitely, I think, kind of figure out how you can kind of do some baby steps around that. And then lean on, the last thing I say is lean on people that can give you good advice. I mean, we give a lot of good advice and it's not even the clients who ultimately stick with us, right, or ultimately buy from us. But when you get on the phone with us, and I know Josiah's company is the same, we're going to tell you, we're going to give you good advice, you know, and, you know, and sometimes that advice is, is we're not a good fit. You know, it can be that, you know what, like what you're looking for, we're just not the best 
you know, solution for. You know, other times the advice is not even related to buying software from us. I mean, we were on the phone one day and they sucked me in and we were talking about how to migrate data from your old CRM to your new one. We're not a CRM company, but, you know, we're just talking about best practices and kind of what they need to do and how they need to get that set up. Because I'll tell you, like, one of the things we're telling them is don't use Hambit as your CRM. Like, you can if you're very basic, but if you really are into long-term donor management and you're trying to track things across, you know, grants and, you know, you name it, go get a leading CRM platform and then integrate us kind of stuff. So anyway, you know, that's, that's where I would leave it with you guys. I mean, I know it's been overwhelming for the last several years. I mean, we had a massive tech surge come COVID. And for some of you who were not super tech savvy or comfortable with it, you kind of got shoved into it and you kind of, you know, probably got even a little overwhelmed because those 70 year old donors that you were used to not using tech or who are all now depositing checks on their phones are all now ready to, you know, do mobile bidding at your auction, you know, (laughs) for you guys, it might be a lot, but yeah, that's what we're here for, you know? So I wish you guys all the best of luck in 2024. You know, if you have any issues, you can reach out to us. It's wonderful, Jeff. Thank you. And with that, we have reached the end of our panel. I want to give a big thank you to our panelists for sharing their insights today. And I also want to give a big big thank you to our audience. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope you enjoyed yourself and learned something that will benefit the work that you do on a daily basis. We have a packed few months of panels ahead of us, and I hope that you will join us for them. So keep an eye out on the NX Unite website or on the NX Unite LinkedIn page to make sure that you don't miss out on any of these. All right, that is it for me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you all and have a nice rest of the day, everyone. And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed that NX Unite panel with our CEO, Jeff Porter, and that you learned some great tips on how to bring your nonprofit into the future with tech. If you enjoyed our show, please take a moment to leave us a review. You can find us on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe for more great content. And if you're a fan of video, check us out on YouTube. Until next time, happy fundraising. Happy fundraising.